Well, good morning to you. He is risen, and he's coming again. He said he was going to die. He died. He said he's coming again. He's coming again. And the question is, are you ready? Because he is coming again. The fact that he is risen, this historical fact changes everything. Changes everything. Including death. You realize that, don't you? His resurrection changed everything, especially death. Especially your death. His resurrection changed things from fear to faith. From sorrow to certainty. From horror to hope. His resurrection changes not only our outlook on life, but our future when it comes to eternity. They say that there are two things that are certain, death and taxes. Well, I think you can drop death at this point, because it's not certain for those of us who may experience the rapture. Not even death is certain when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and His power over life and death. Amen? First Corinthians 15, 51 gives us that assurance that at the rapture of the church, we are going to be able to say, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die. But we shall all be changed. It's talking about the rapture. When it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and His resurrection and its impact that not even death is certain anymore for those of us who love God and who are looking for that blessed hope, that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, Marge shared with me a long time ago that she really believes, and this kind of gives you an idea how close we are, and I've shared this with Marge, and she said, it's okay. Marge says she just feels like she's going to experience the rapture. She also say, he better hurry. And every Sunday when I see her, she just hugs me so sweetly, and she wonders, why another week? And I agree with her, because we're ready for the rapture. She's ready for the rapture. But she really believes that God's promised her, or God, God she, she believes that she's going to experience the rapture. And I hope you do, Marge. Soon. But see, it is because of his resurrection that we can gather here like this and we can talk about that and we can be excited that we do not have to fear death. That eternity awaits. And the important thing about eternity is you need to remember that 
there's going to be the resurrection of the just. There's going to be the resurrection of the unjust. Location, location, location. <laughs> that is so important that we remember that truth. And this morning, if you've not placed your faith, if you've not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, don't wait until the end of this message to do that. Now is the day of salvation. Now is God's grace extended, His mercy is extended, His amazing love includes you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And if you've not done that, you don't have to wait until the end of this service. Right where you're sitting, right now. You can believe that Christ died for your sins. Serenity just sang about it. The way of suffering, he did that. That he was buried and he rose again. And that's what we're celebrating this morning. The three greatest announcements ever. Three greatest announcements ever made. One was found in Luke 2.11. Luke 2.11, the angel got to announce, For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Hallelujah for that announcement that the angels got to make. The second greatest pronouncement is in John 19.30, when our Lord Jesus Christ said, It is finished. Folks, he didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. And the truth of the matter is, he was just getting started in saving us. And the third greatest announcement, again by an angel, is Matthew 28, 6. He is not here, for he is risen. Come see the place. Where the Lord lay. Wow. What an announcement. How that must have sent shivers down Satan's spine. And I'm glad. The demons were quaking at that realization that he's alive. And where they quake, we rejoice this morning at his resurrection. C.S. Lewis once complained to Tolkien and said that the story of Christ is just a myth. And Tolkien said, ah, but this myth is true. And he was exactly right. This myth, this story, this lesson is absolutely true. And so because of his death, the grave loses its victory. Death loses its sting, all because of the resurrection. Now, we get to say that at the rapture. Right now, I, death has a sting. The grave has the victory. But boy, when we're caught up to, be, to meet the Lord in the air, oh, we're going to be able to shout Oh, grave, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? Because of the resurrection. 
of Christ. It's because that payment in full has been paid by God Himself. It's because of the resurrection of Christ that the curse will be removed as God makes all things new. It's the resurrection that gives God the Father the basis to remove the curse because of the work of God the Son. What a plan of salvation. Everything, everything in the history of the world, every event, every happening, everything pales in comparison to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, to that stone being moved. By the way, the stone was moved. It wasn't to let him out. He was already out. It was to let them see inside, wow, he's gone. The power of God was already at work. And when you stop and think of his death on Calvary's cross, when you think of the the empty tomb and and the reason that we come together here this morning to, to worship him, It just blows my mind, yet man still rejects the greatest expression of love ever demonstrated. His love. I'm not going to dwell this morning on the gruesomeness of his death. We're going to look at his death, but I'm not going to dwell on the gruesomeness, but only to say this, as we look at these scriptures... I want us to ask ourselves, what amazing love, what amazing courage, what amazing determination to reconcile you and me to himself for all eternity, for all eternity. And as I said a while ago, he didn't say, I'm finished and slumped to die. He said, it is finished. The payment is made. The debt is paid. Turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. Now as we go through this, hopefully you're going to get an understanding, because just, just what I'm about to say deserves its own study and it's, and it's beneficial um, but we don't have time this, this year to do it. Maybe next year at Sunday school uh, we can look at this. But many of you said, why don't you have a Good Friday service? And to me, biblically, Christ wasn't crucified on Good Friday. So why, he was in the grave. Uh, he wasn't crucified on, on Good Friday. Um, so that's the reason we don't celebrate Good Friday. Because we want to be biblical. Amen. We want to be scripturally correct. And so as we go through this, I think you'll get an idea of why. And it, it's all there. God's word's very plain on which day he was crucified in order for there to be three days and three nights in the tomb. And the fact that the God's word says three days and three nights means three full days, three full nights. I know a lot of people try to jump through the hoops and jump around and go, well, uh, in Hebrew, that a part of a day counts as one. No, it doesn't. 
Not when it says three days and three nights. Just as it does in the day of creation, in six days, the morning in the morning and the evening were the first day, the morning and the evening were the second day, the morning and the evening, that is accounting for a full day, not just partial days. Well, it's the same here. God wants us to understand He was in the grave three days and three nights. And we're a scriptural church. We're a Bible-believing church. We believe the Bible. So let's, let's look at Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26 starts out with the, the Pharisees and the high priest and all the religious leaders of Israel plotting to kill the Lord Jesus. And the reason they're plotting to kill the Lord Jesus is because he just raised Lazarus from the dead. You would think that that would have been reason enough for them to, let's reconsider this. Hey, this guy just gave sight to the blind. He just made the lame to walk. He just raised the dead. Maybe he's who he says he is. But instead of that happening, they started plotting to kill him. This time that Mary anoints the feet of the Lord Jesus in preparing for his burial. She's, she's already anointed, um, she's already anointed him a few days prior to that. She's already anointed his feet. Now she's anointing his head, preparing for his burial. And the next thing that we hear is we see Judas, who scoffed and ridiculed and complained about her anointing his feet back over right after Lazarus was resurrected in John chapter 12. He pitches a fit and says, why in the world did we sell that and give the money to the poor? Scripture says it's not because he cared for the poor, but he was a thief. He wanted the money. So here Mary does the same thing. And I think this is what set Judas off. He goes, oh, I just can't take this. And so he goes to the high priest and he says, what will you give me to show you where he is? I'll take you to him. Because that's what they'd said. You know, if anybody knows where he's going to be, let us know. So Judas goes and he agrees to sell the Lord Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Then the Last Supper is prepared. The Last Supper is celebrated there in Matthew 26. And as that Last Supper, as they go to prepare for that, you need to remember this day was Tuesday at sunset. It was Tuesday evening at sunset as they came together to observe the Last Supper. Tuesday at sunset marked the beginning of which day? Nisan the 14th, which is the preparation day. So as they gathered together for the Last Supper, this was Tuesday night the beginning of Nisan, the 14th. Remember in Hebrew, the day started uh, at sunset 
uh, in the evening. And then it would go until sunset the next day. That's how you count days. So here it's Tuesday night, Tuesday evening. They gather together for the Last Supper. They have the Last Supper. Christ predicts. He says, Peter, you're going to deny yourself. Are you, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And when does a rooster crow? In the morning. In the morning. So Nassan the 14th, they're eating. Judas gets up and he goes to betray him. He tells Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter says, I'm never going to deny you. You're going to deny me. Three times. Look at verse 36. Starting to get, it was Tuesday when they started. A lot of things took place in between. And as that time got closer and closer and closer, the Lord Jesus, God himself, had need to pray. And he takes certain of his disciples with him and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I think something interesting is happening here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, and he said unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. So this was Tuesday night, Nisan the 14th, getting later. See, it's getting, it's pushing, it's pushing later and later, and so it's getting, they're getting tired, they're sleepy, they've been up all day. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Depression, anxiety, anguish, distress. So much so that he started sweating great drops of blood. There's a scientific term for that, and I always mispronounce it, but hemoditrosis. Close enough. If no one else knows how to pronounce it, you'll never know. Dan back there knows how to pronounce it. Hemoditrosis. He was sweating great drops of blood. He was literally dying in the garden of Gethsemane. So when he prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me, this cup of sorrow, I think he was, he was dying right then. I don't think he was praying, Lord, get me out of this. I don't want to go to the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I think he was dying right there. The fact that he was sweating great drops of blood. Luke 22 tells us that it was so, it was so critical that God the Father sent an angel to minister to him during that time. Hebrews 5.7 tells us, it, it describes a time when Christ was near death, and he cried out to the Father, and the Father, there it is, who in the days of the flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong cryings and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard, and that he feared. He's talking about the Lord Jesus. I think he's talking about describing this time here. So this was late, late Tuesday, Nisan the 14th. Wednesday, 
early a.m. was about to hit. The way we figure. Verse 47, Judas betrays the Lord. And remember now it's early, early in the morning of Nisan the 14th. Nisan the 14th being preparation day. What did they prepare on Nisan the 14th? The lamb that was to be slain. They picked that lamb on the 10th of Nisan and they were to slay it on Nisan the 14th. At what time? Three o'clock. That's going to play into this also. So here it is. It's Wednesday morning. Judas, it's still dark. Still dark. That's the reason Judas comes and he plants a kiss on him because there are no street lights. They didn't have flashlights. They, They didn't know which one was Jesus. Judas did. And so he comes and he plants a kiss on him and that identifies him as Jesus of Nazareth. And so they take him. Then they bring in false witnesses. They take him to the... And the high priest and the the Sanhedrin was all set up. It was all ready to go. It was ready to receive him. By the way, it was illegal. You're not supposed to have a court like this that early in the morning while it's still dark. It was against Jewish law. No trial at night. It was still dark. They bring false witnesses. Look at verse 63. But Jesus held his peace. Verse 62, the high priest arose and said unto him, Answer thou nothing? What is it that these witnesses say against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God. Christ could have said, you mean me? He didn't. Because he was a lamb before his shearers dumb. I adjure thee before the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said unto him, this is the high priest, this is Caiaphas, this is the same one who had just earlier predicted that Christ was going to die for the sins of the world. This is Caiaphas who told all the rest of the Sanhedrin when they were saying, he raises the dead. If we don't stop him, everybody's going to believe on him. Oh, we've got to do something about it. We can't allow that to happen. Let's kill him. Well, it's this Caiaphas that the Holy Spirit came upon and he prophesied the truth and they still wanted to kill him. Caiaphas, back in in John chapter 11, had already detailed exactly what Christ was going to do. He was going to deliver his people. So this same guy says, are you the living God? You tell us. Verse 44. I mean, verse 64. And Jesus said unto him, you've said so. You've said so. Referring back to when he said all the things that he was going to do. And nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. That's Daniel 7, 13. 
How many times had Caiaphas, how many times had these Pharisees, these Sadducees, this Sanhedrin, these religious leaders, how many times had they debated over Daniel 7, 13 and went, oh, won't it be wonderful? Oh, won't it be great? Oh, we have this to look forward to. How great it's going to be. Our Messiah is going to come. Let's pray for the Messiah to come. Then he quotes the same one who raised the dead, who made the blind to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to speak. This same one quotes this verse. Why didn't they go, oh, how could we have been so stupid? But they didn't because they were so evil. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now we have heard his blasphemy, because he was declaring himself to be God. That's his crime. He declared himself to be God. Now, according to Leviticus, the crime of blasphemy was you're to be put to death by stoning not crucifixion. You were to be stoned, not crucified. Deuteronomy points out that if a sin is so egregious, then let that person be crucified, and if they be crucified, they are considered cursed, that was the worst of criminals, to hang on a cross. His sin, his crime, according to them, was blasphemy, stoning. But what did they say do? Put him to death, crucify him. Crucify him, which is reserved for the vilest offender. Like me. Like you. Like Barabbas, by the way, who was a murderer. Acts, the book of Acts describes Barabbas as a murderer. And after that, Peter denies the Lord. Three times before the rooster crows. Early the morning on Wednesday. Early Wednesday morning. The uh, rooster crows announcing the sun's coming up. So they take Christ to Pilate. Pilate says, this is not my jurisdiction. Send him to Herod. Herod says, I don't want anything to do. I sends him back to Pilate. Matter of fact, six times in this, this episode, six times someone declares Christ to be innocent. Six, the number of men, I think that's significant, but six times, Judas declares him innocent, Pilate declares him innocent, his wife declares him innocent, Herod declares him innocent, the thief declares him innocent, and the centurion soldier declares him innocent. All that during this time. And Christ is examined, and being the Passover, being the Passover, and you may say, well, wait a second, isn't the Passover, um, isn't that on Friday night? Well, according to John 19, this was the high Sabbath. This week had two Sabbaths. Every Jewish feast day contained, that week contained two Sabbaths. 
the regular Sabbath at the end of the week, but then also a high Sabbath. Because you never did, they knew, but it, that because of the calendar, those feast days fell on different times. They were to be considered Sabbaths. This was a high Sabbath. John 19 tells us it was a high Sabbath. In other words, it was not the regular Sabbath. So here it was Wednesday. Pilate says, I want to release somebody to you. Being the Passover, who do you want? They could have said, Jesus. Jesus. Barabbas. Acts 3.14, you can check it out. Tells us that Barabbas was a murderer. He'd never made the blind to see. He'd never made the lame to walk. He'd never made the dumb to speak. He'd never raised anybody from the dead. As a matter of fact, he had made them dead. They would rather, they were so wicked, they were so evil, they would rather have Barabbas. than the one that could come and change their life forever. And you know the story. They crucified him. They beat him. They mocked him. They crucified him. Treated him cruelly. Verse 34, chapter 27. They gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. That gall was a painkiller. He didn't want didn't want that. And they crucified him. Nine o'clock, nine AM on Wednesday morning. 9 a.m. on Wednesday morning. They set up the accusation, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Verse 42, he saved others himself, he cannot save. If he be the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. No, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. And he could have taking himself down off the cross. He says he could have called 10,000 angels. That would have been quite a sight. That would have been quite their undoing. They could have rescued him. They could have pulled those nails. They could have taken that crown of thorns and replaced it with his crown. But we would still be lost. We would still be lost. So they crucified him. Verse 50, Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up his ghost. John 19.30 tells us what he cried with a loud voice. It is finished the reason he was saying that is because I I, I think scripture is very clear that it was at three o'clock three o'clock 
they were blowing the ram's horn, the shofar horn, indicating to the nation of Israel, to those in Jerusalem, slaughter, kill your Passover lamb now. And the horn would blow. And as he heard it blow, it is finished. The Passover lamb was being slain. And as the creator of the universe yielded up his spirit and he died, all of creation convulsed. The lights went out. That's when the Philippian, or that's when the centurion. So all that was going on, the, the veil that separated God and man in the Holy of Holies, it split from top to bottom. God took it and ripped it. The thing that separated man from God was exchanged for the living veil that invites all men to know Him. That's significant, folks, as God's offering salvation to all. But why do man reject it? Why do man say, no, we're not interested? We don't want that. We deny that. We doubt that. It's the greatest story that's ever been told. Yet man still rejects it. And Christ is buried. Three days later. Three days. Three nights. The women go to the tomb. To prepare him for burial. Prepare his body. Verse 6, Matthew 28. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Those aren't just words, folks. That changes history. Changed my life. Has it changed your life?